0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. On the parables, um, we've got a couple weeks left. And throughout this series of the parables of Jesus, what we found is Jesus walking with his disciples. He's walking with his disciples, and we've got to walk with his disciples with him um, as he's gone about teaching and telling these stories in these parables. And the heart of these parables is that we would see the reality of the kingdom of God, that we would have new eyes to see and new ears to hear, and that we'd be able to have our imaginations expanded on what the kingdom of God is about and how our reality can be changed because of the kingdom perspective in our lives. So last week we looked into the heart of forgiveness. We asked in our hearts and we asked this week and I prayed for you guys this week that Jesus would expand our imagination around forgiveness. And that hopefully this week you'd begin to see forgiveness as a possibility where maybe you've seen it as an impossibility up until then. My hope is that Jesus would continue to expand our hearts and our minds and that he would continue to give us new eyes to see and new ears to hear. And this week it is our prayer for God to give us corrected vision. A corrected vision of ourselves and of others so that we can actively serve one another. And I believe that this is what this parable is about this morning. is that It's about correcting our vision. And so if you guys would, if you guys would turn with me to Luke chapter 14 um, verse 7. <coughs> Let's read along together. You don't have to read a lot, but read along with me. This is the parable <coughs> of the lowest seat. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honors, he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then they will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you guys pray with me this morning? My dear Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable on humility. And this parable that causes us to check ourselves, that causes us to confess and repent where we have been humble in our heart, where we are able to cling to you and ask for you to humble us, for you to provide a new lens that we might see the world around us, that we might have a new imagination around serving others and seeing ourselves in proper relationship with you. God, may you be ever near this morning. God, may we, we, may we be aware of your presence. May you speak to us in ways that we need to hear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> and so what Jesus is doing here in this parable is absolutely brilliant. Um, because what Jesus is doing is that he's using this cultural story. About 99% of Jesus' parable here is not original content. Um, it's content that they would have known in the past. It's kind of this worldly wisdom. And so as the Pharisees are clamoring to their highest spot, Jesus uses this worldly wisdom of hey, take the lowest seat instead of the highest seat to rebuke the Pharisees in their actions as they're clamoring for this highest spot and to also provide new meaning to this kind of worldly advice to take the lowest spot. And so what would happen in this day is that whenever anyone threw a dinner party, they would be like this big U-shaped table. And at the center of the U-shaped table was the person of honor. And so in Jesus' example, it's a wedding feast. And so the bride and the groom would sit at the top of the U-shaped table. And unlike weddings today where like, you have name cards and distinctions and numbers on tables that tell you where you rank, you know, according to the guests. You know, If you're at like table 14, like, you know you're really not that significant. But you got an invite! You got an invite! <laughs> but Unlike that, unlike that where we have name cards and numbers for tables, um, it was just kind of left wide open. It was, wide, it was left wide open to interpretation to be like, sit yourself where you think you might fit best in honor to the guest. And so what we have here at this particular dinner party that Jesus finds himself at, all the Pharisees are like, I want to be right next to the person of honor. I want to look the best. I want to be the best. And what would happen is that if you took a place of honor that was too high for maybe your status. you know, Maybe you belonged at table 14, but you were like, no, I'm going to sit in the, the, uh, the maid of honor seat. You know? um, It would be kind of embarrassing for the, for the host or the bride to be like, hey, you know, I have this friend of mine. Um, actually, could you, could you go to table 14? Could you go to table 14 for me? I mean, that's, that's what would happen. That's what would happen in this scenario. And so what happened was, is that the Pharisees kind of forgot this advice, this worldly advice, because the sages of the day had seen this as a problem. They'd seen this as a social problem. You go to a party, there's a bunch of seats available. They're all seats of honor. Um, You definitely don't want to sit in the shame seat because you really want to look the best. You really want to take the highest seat, Um, especially in this day. Sitting in the highest seat and having the highest honor was most prized in the eyes. I mean, not a ton has changed in the world, but, I mean, it was, like, the highest honor to sit next to the guest of honor and to be able to do it multiple, multiple times. And so there was this advice that came out among the sages that says, hey, you know what? If you, if you want to avoid all of this and if you want to see, like, where you truly rank in the eyes of the person that is hosting the party, go sit in the lowest seat. Go sit in the lowest seat because then surely the guests would see you hanging out at table 14. And they'd be like, oh man, you know what? You don't belong at table 14. You should probably come up and sit at table two. And what they would do is they would kick somebody out of table two and say, hey, you should probably go to sit in table 14. And so there's this strategy here that was like, I might actually get more honor and shame someone else if I sit in the lowest seat. And so let's do that. And so that's the advice that Jesus is giving. Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of this advice to go sit in The lowest seat seems like worldly wisdom, but Jesus wrecks all of that with one line, with one line that he tacks on the end of this little story and this piece of advice, and that is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the kingdom reality. This is the purpose of the parable. The worldly advice for the strategy was to appear humble in order to feed yourself with individual pride and shaming someone else in the process. Jesus changes the intention of this parable, of this advice, and says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is showing us the true heart of the kingdom, that in this kingdom of his, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And even those appearing to be humble, sitting in the lowest seats, guess, guess where they're going to stay in the kingdom? He's just going to walk on by. He's going to let them sit in the low seat. He's like, ah, good. You picked the right one. Moving on. They'll just be left there. But in his kingdom, for those who truly humble themselves, who truly see themselves as humble, they will be exalted and lifted up. And this is revolutionary. This is a new idea. And it's highly offensive to the Pharisees who have stopped clamoring at this point and I've thought about like, okay, Jesus has given us this advice, but he seems to put a twist on this advice. And now he's saying the lowest or the most humble among us will actually get to sit in the seats of honor. This is offensive to the ears of the Pharisees because to speak of the humble being exalted means that Jesus is referring to the lowliest of society, the lowest of lows, those who are perceived to be the lowest of society, those who were poor, those who were lame those who are sick, those who are insignificant, those people who we look at and we, we question, do you add any value to this world? Those are the humble that Jesus is talking about. And he's saying that those people are going to be sitting in the places of honor. And those people who think that they deserve to be there are going to be the ones found at table 14 in Jesus' feast in Jesus' kingdom. And so Jesus is warning them. He's warning these religious leaders because they saw themselves as the exalted leaders of Israel. They saw themselves as the most righteous, the most holy. They saw themselves as having the most important job, and that was protecting the temple of its holiness and its cleanliness, and performing the religious duties of the day. And here Jesus is saying, you who find themselves exalted, will find themselves in the place most lowly. So what we find here at the heart of the kingdom of God is this overwhelming sense of humility, the sense that we are to put others before ourselves, just as God has put all of creation before himself in giving us his son. And what we find throughout Scripture is that Jesus is our example of humility. He embodies it completely. He is our lens for humility what humility is so now when i looked at this parable and i looked at this parable on monday and started planning um this parable i was like yeah it seems pretty straightforward like there's honorable seats there are lower seats jesus says take the lower seat so i'm like all right take the lower seat that's the application take the lowest seat but what i find is is that if i were to ask you hey which which seat would you take everyone in here would probably be like yeah let's let's take the lowest seat because that's what jesus says And be like, let's close the book, let's go home, let's go to Pizza Ranch. (laughs) Because, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, right? Parable, done deal. But what I find is that when we're honest, we all really struggle with pride. And we all really struggle to be truly humble and take the lowest seats. I mean, especially as Americans, right? I mean, we are in the Olympic season right now where we just... Pride, American exceptionalism, right? I mean, like, that's all NBC covers is how awesome America is. And we are like, we dominate the world. We've got the most golds. And I find the Olympics to be most telling of our pride because there's some athletes who win gold, and in their interview, like, they're like, yeah, of course I won gold. Of course that happened. And, man, though, I don't know about you, but I, like, sit there kind of awkward. Like, my, tummy, my stomach kind of turns. I'm like, yay, America. <laughs> like, I can't, you know. But then, but then you have people that win gold, and they're, they're astonished, and they're amazed, and they take no credit for themselves, and they thank everyone that has brought them up to that point. And you're like, in that moment, you're like, yes, yes. They're, they're sitting in this place of ultimate humility as they win the game. And so what I find is that for various reasons in this parable, if we were to insert ourselves, we would all choose the lowest seat. And we would do it for different reasons. Some of us would choose the lowest seat in hopes that we'd be honored. We would have the the worldly conception of, like, if I sit in the lowest seat, then the host comes and he'd see me sitting at table 14, and he'd bump me up. And that'd be Awesome. So some of us in this room would choose the lowest seat for that. Some of us would choose the lowest seat for the sake of knowing that it was the right answer. Jesus is like, Jesus told me to sit in the lowest seat. I'm going to sit in the lowest seat. It's the right answer. That's what I'm going to do. Some of us honestly don't care where you sit. You don't care if you sit in table 14, table 11. You actually probably don't want to be at the front if you're this person that doesn't really care where you sit. But what we find is that like, you're, you're ambivalent. But what I find is that ambivalence is not actually true humility. Um, that ambivalence is actually um, a form of just negligence, of, of really not caring. And so this place of ambivalent, you just can't be ambivalent when you're like, hey, you got you to pick a seat. You got to pick a seat, and the seat that you pick matters. And then finally, there would be some of us that would actually sit in the lowest seat because we were truly humble. Because we were truly humble. But it's difficult. It's difficult for us to place ourselves truly into this parable. We don't have the situation where we go to parties and have to pick our seats based on how important we think we are. This does not happen. And what I also think is that it's also really difficult for us to identify our motives around our pride and our decision to choose the lowest seat And so I think this parable is difficult for us um, to to kind of relate to culturally. But what I do find important is that we know kind of what I call our HQ. And that is our humility coefficient. Our humility coefficient. you're like, Justin, how are we going to measure humility coefficients? And I'm glad you asked because we're going to have two tests this morning. We're going to have two tests this morning. Um, One is like six questions. And you're going to give yourself some scores, and we're going to see some hard data. And data is good, right? We're data people in this room. We like to see data. We like to chart data. And data is good because it shows us a form of reality that we might not see otherwise. It's good to plot out your budget because and have some hard data around your budget because if you were to plot your last month and someone were to ask you how much did you spend on going out, you'd have a clear answer. You'd be like, well, I think I, I spent $300. Here's my spreadsheet. You know, but if, if you don't plot that out and someone's like, how much do you on going out? You're like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe, maybe 150 bucks. I don't know. You know, and you're, and you're wondering like, why am I drowning in debt? Why are we missing the budget? Well, it's because you don't have the data there to show you the reality is that you're spending $300 eating out. And so we need data. We need budgets because it shows us, this data shows us stuff that we can't see with our emotions. And I think when it comes to our pride and our humility, a lot of it is very emotionally Based. And so uh, we've got this test. So you want to pull up this test for us, Rich? And so this test comes from a book um, by uh, a business leader called Patrick Linciani. Um, He's written incredible books. He's a Christian. um, And his book, this is from his book, uh, The Ideal Team Player, um, just recently released. Um, I got it this week and found it um, in his book. And I was like, man, this is incredibly helpful for understanding um, humility. And so these are the six questions. Um, I compliment or praise, it says them, it should be people. I compliment or praise people without hesitation. I easily admit to my mistakes. I'm willing to take on lower level tasks um, in whatever context that is. Um, I gladly share the credit for team accomplishments. And so wh- wh- whatever your context, wherever you work together as a team, whether that team is at home, whether that team is is as volunteers somewhere, whether it's here in the church, but you... Uh, Share the credit with team. I readily acknowledge my weaknesses, and I offer and accept apologies graciously. So I want you to do is on your bulletin um, go through and just kind of write um, a number next to them. And so number one means that I rarely do this. Number two means I sometimes do this, and number three means I usually do this. And so please, please go through because we're going to get some data, and we're going to be able to see this data for what it is. And so go ahead and plop that out. And I got to grab kind of a prop here that I forgot. Everyone add up their score? All right, go ahead and add up your score um, and try and pick the number that comes to your gut first. That's how you do these things. Um, (laughs) Add up your score. Now, if your score is a 13 or below, it means that you have a low humility coefficient. 13 or below. If you scored a 14 to 16, you're doing relatively decent. And if you scored a 17 or plus, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. I know that you wouldn't because you're too humble to do that, but... (laughs) But if if somehow you scored a 17 or above, humility is a strength of yours. And that's a good thing. And it's an okay thing to admit. You know, a lot of times we're like, man, don't want to admit that I'm humble. Well, Moses did. Moses writes it in Exodus. He's one of the most humble people that walked the planet right there. Exodus, it's in your Bible right there. One of the most humble men claiming that he's one of the most humble men. And so it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge humility as one of your strengths because it's where God's grace might be showing up huge in your life. And the world needs humble people. The world needs humble people that know that they're humble so that they can share their humility with other people. And so hopefully this data makes us aware. And so this is what we come to find, is that for there to be growth, for there to be growth in our humility coefficient, there has to be a level of transparency. There has to be a level of honesty. There has to be a place of confession. There needs to be a place where we can invite each other into our weaknesses. It does us no good to have this number that's on your bulletin and then just like go home and like say, don't, don't look at my number. Don't look at my number. Because we're not going to grow that way. We're not going to grow that way if we don't invite other people who might be stronger in this into community with us. Or maybe even we need to get together those people who scored a 13 or less and we need to get together and brainstorm how can we grow in our humility? How can we begin to ask God to grow us in humility? Maybe we need to identify ways that we are prideful. Maybe that conversation would be actually incredibly enlightening and transforming for us. And so for the sake of, humi- of, of vulnerability and transparency, my score was a 13. Um, I struggle with humility. I'm, I'm actually a really prideful person. I don't know if you know this, um, but I'm like a struggling, I'm a struggling recovering uh, prideaholic. Uh, back when I was in high school, I um, especially my junior, senior year, I thought very, very highly of myself, especially in this one capacity. Um, I, so I grew up as a child um, being, being really good with my words. And in the checkout aisles, you know, they have the candy. And I would kind of debate and lay out my reasoning, my logic with my mom as to like, why I deserved the candy bar. And there was a person in line that observed this multiple times and would say, oh, man, your son's going to be an incredible politician or lawyer someday. And I didn't hear those words. I didn't know what those words meant, but I knew how to schmooze my mom, you know. And then um, in middle school and high school, I joined this program called Michigan Youth in Government. And the goal there in this program was that you were a politician. You wrote legislation, and then you got to sit in the real chambers of the House and Senate um, in the capital of Michigan, and you got to pass these laws. And uh, throughout my tenure there, I took on a lot of the higher leadership positions to the point, to the point that during my senior year, me and one of my friends would go up and introduce ourselves like this. I would say, hi, I'm Justin Burge. I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) Those words, a senior in high school. That's what I thought of myself. I was scoring a six (laughs) on this test here. I was scoring a six. I was just like, I'm Justin. I'm kind of a big deal. You should probably know me if you want to get stuff done. And um, fortunately, God, by God's grace, I've recovered to a 13. But I've still got a ways to go until I'm at this 17, 18 mark. And so that's my confession to you. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you would be vulnerable back. And how many of us here this morning scored a 13 or below, if we're going to be real honest? Yes. Thank you, my people. So maybe we need to get together sometime and, like, have a chat and be like, how, how can we improve beyond this 13 or below. Now, how many of us scored 16, uh, 14 to 16? 14 to 16. Good, man, we've got some good, humble people here. You guys are well, you guys are doing good. You guys are doing good. Um, we need your prayers. We need your prayers. Seriously, I'm not kidding about this. Like, we do. We do. Because humility is a part of the kingdom. Humility is a part of the kingdom of God. Anyone, anyone score the 17 plus? It's okay to confess this, it's okay. Okay. So none of us are Jesus this morning. It's okay. (laughs) So that's where we're at. And it's good to know where we're at because we we need each other. We need each other if we're going to grow. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's encouragement. And so that that's kind of the first test. We've got some real data. The second test, maybe now this is maybe where we're gonna trip up some of you guys that are like in the middle here. Um, so the second test it 's kind of a litmus test. it's like it 's an either a yes or a no, and you 'll know it in your gut, and so it 's just one question, and it is, when you take a group picture, who do you look at first? <laughs> who do you look at first when you take a group picture? Now, the, the more telling question is, how do you judge that picture when you look at yourself first? If you look at yourself first and you 're like, "Man, I look pretty good. Good picture.") <laughs> Picture, you judge the whole weight of the whole picture based on how good you look. You know, you look good, you're like, Oh, good picture, good picture. But if, if you don't look good, if you don't look so good, they caught you winking or sneezing or just not looking your best. Maybe you got your fat face on, you know, you're like, Hey, guys, guys, no, I, I don't, I don't let, let's take another, let's take another. Can we just one more, just one more, one more? And so we judge the whole picture, the, the entire value of the whole picture based on one person, you and how you think that you look in that picture. And so that, that's kind of the second humility test that we have for us this morning. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that we all struggle with humility in some way because pride is the root of our sin, and we all struggle with sin. and We all need to be set free from our sin. I go back to our first parable that we studied, the parable of the seeds. Jesus quotes to us this passage from Isaiah chapter 6, and he says this. He says, You will indeed hear, but never Understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. And so, what I find true in this quotation is true for us this morning is that our eyes, in some ways, have been closed shut. In many ways, our vision of reality has become blurred by our pride. Our pride blurs our vision of what is truly real. And so what we need, if we're going to see with humility, and if we're going to grow in humility, what we need is for our vision to be corrected. And so what do you do when you need your vision to be corrected? Well, you go and you get a pair of glasses. And so what we need is a pair of humility glasses. I've got mine right here. I've got my humility glasses right here put them babies on. You know, I can't feel prideful with these babies on, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not going to walk up to anybody and be like, hey, I, I'm a big deal. <laughs> um, just not, not with these on, you know. I mean, they look kind of cool, They accent flowers. But, uh, so what we, need, what we need are new lenses. What we need are, is a new lens to see the world, and we need to be able to put on our kind of humility glasses and to have our eyes corrected. I mean, anyone wear collect, corrective eyewear. I mean, how was it when you first put those babies on for the first time? You, like, didn't have glasses, now you have glasses. You put them on, you're like, whoa, this is what the world is like? There's actually definition? In the, you can see individual leaves on trees? That's amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing how immediate it is when you put on eyewear. They've come out with new eyewear for people that are colorblind. And so people that have been colorblind for the first time are putting on these glasses and seeing the world that it really is, and they get emotional because they cannot imagine what their life was like before, how they had missed out on the beauty of contrast and the beauty of color that our God has put into this world. And so we need to put on a pair of corrective lenses. And our lens for us is Jesus, because Jesus is this form that of humility. He is our example of humility. And so he is our corrective lenses to our pride. And when we put him on, we are able to have a clear vision to where pride is blurred. And so I believe in this parable, our vision has been blurred in three different ways. The first way is in our vision to see ourselves correctly. The second way is in our vision to see our prejudices. And then the third way is our vision to add value to other people. And so if you're taking notes, that's where we're going next in these three places. We need glasses, we need humility lenses to correct our vision, to see ourselves correctly, to see our prejudices prejudices correctly and to add value to other people's lives so through the lens of humility when we put on our humility glasses we're able to see ourselves for who we really are for the ways that the, that we have been created so in this parable what we find is that there are those who have been invited who do not have the right view of themselves they have a highly inflated view of themselves And they're ultimately embarrassed or shamed into a lower view of themselves than what they expected. And this is often what we think of when we think of prideful people, people that think too much of themselves. And so those people need to put on some humility glasses to correct their eyes so that they can see themselves correctly in the right place. I think the most basic definition of humility is seeing (laughs) seeing life or humility is, sorry, let me get this out correctly, the most basic definition of humility is living out what is true. It is being able to see and live out what is true. And so that is living out our true identity, which is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. But the problem is is that many of us are still trying to find our true identity. And so we err with inflated views of ourselves or we err in the opposite direction of lacking confidence. We are so exhausted in our search for our identity that we find ourselves stumbling around, lacking confidence, thinking far too less of ourselves than what we ought. We find ourselves as worthless or having very little value to add to anything or to anyone. And the problem is, is that many of us, or at least in this culture, thinks that this view, this view of self-deprecation, this view of having a little view of self, of thinking of yourself as not valued, as just standing in a corner, not getting in the way, we view that as humility. We say, man, that person's really humble over there. They just get ran over. They get train wrecked. But man, they're so humble, they don't complain. They think so lowly of themselves. But man, if Jesus is our imagination, if Jesus is our lens for humility, then there's no way that that can be humility. I mean, how compelling would it have been if Jesus, being humble, being the picture of humble, would take on this picture of humility that we have where he would come from heaven to earth and say, hey guys, I'm the son of God, maybe. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I woke up this morning. I really don't feel like the son of God today. So I'm just going to stay in bed. Uh, what if he said, hey, come follow me. Give up everything that you've got because I, I think maybe I'm the son of God. I, don't know, I'm gonna, I might perform some miracles today. We'll see. we'll see if I'm feeling up to it but you should probably leave and follow me. And I don't know, you'll probably make it. You'll probably make it. I mean, is that compelling at all? Is that level of humility or that vision of Jesus compelling at all? There's nothing compelling about a self-deprecating Jesus. And there's nothing humble about it either. There's nothing humble about our self-deprecation. What we find is we find a Jesus who is truly gripped by his identity as the Son of God, and he never stutters. He never stutters about who he is. He proclaims it everywhere that he is, even to the point of getting himself killed. So in Jesus, there is a confidence in his identity. His identity and its purpose is what drives his humility. Jesus, being the Son of God, he had access to all of the creative power of God, and he forsakes it. He forsakes the opportunity to turn rocks into bread when he's really hungry. He forsakes the opportunity to fall into any of Satan's temptations. He forsakes even calling down the armies of heaven to save him from the cross. And it's in these ways that Jesus became lowly. It's in these ways that Jesus was humble. He took on the humble image of man forsaking his rightful heavenly throne. He humbles himself even to the point of death for you and me. But nowhere did Jesus waver in his confidence of his true identity. Nowhere did he waver in his purpose. Everything he did was with grace, it was with humility, and it was with boldness. It was done with action and intentionality. And it was because he was confident in who he was. And it was because he was confident in whose he was. And it's because of this he was exalted to the highest place where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Humility allows us to know with confidence who we are and whose we are. And to go forward in life forsaking all things to ourselves with confident intentionality and boldness like Jesus has done. And so that's the first lens of humility is seeing ourselves correctly, of having some confidence. Not because of what we can accomplish, but because of what Jesus has accomplished in us and what Jesus has purposed us for and has prepared us for in this life. We go boldly and confidently in those things, forsaking all, everything else. That's what this image of humility is, and that's what these glasses of humility allows us to do. It, it corrects our vision of who we are. The second lens of humility is that it allows us to see our prejudices. In the parable, the prideful people who are clamoring for the greatest seat and clamoring for the greatest seat of thinking of themselves as most important, guess what they're doing? They're judging that everyone else at the party is beneath them. And saying, I deserve that highest seat, you automatically say, everyone else, guess what? You don't deserve the highest seat. I do. So you guys get to your lower place than me. I'm the most important You don't even belong thinking that you should be at table one with me. You should actually probably take table 14. That's what they made table 14 for, was for people like you. That's what they're thinking. And if we're not careful and we don't put on our humility lenses, we too will find ourselves just as blind to our own prejudices, just as those who were clamoring for the top were blind their prejudices. I bet you it didn't even cross their mind that they were judging other people, that they were seeing each other. They just wanted the top prize. They wanted the best seat. They didn't care about anyone else. And the danger, the danger with this one, if we don't put on our humility glasses, is that we can become so blind to our pride and to our prejudices, is that we can end up saying things like, I'm not prejudiced against anyone. I don't have, I don't carry any prejudices. I don't, I don't judge people lower than me. But man, when we put on our humility glasses, when we stop trying to demand or justify or steal away that top seat for ourselves because we believe that we deserve it, it's when we can begin to see clearly how we have judged others less than ourselves. How we've judged ourselves better than everyone else. How in us seeking this place of honor, we've decided in our hearts that those people, whoever those people are to you, are below you. And that they are deserving of their lower seats of shame. And you actually get a little excited when they take their seats of shame. You're like, yes, those, they're in their rightful spot now. They're in their rightful spot now. Well, somehow you still think that you are deserving of this place of honor, These humility glasses should change all of that. Those lenses should change all of that. And Jesus exposes our prejudices all the time. The New Testament is is very much about Jesus exposing our prejudices all the time. And he does this by living among the homeless. He does this by living among the tax collectors who were essentially people that committed treason against their own people. He does this with Adulterers and and sinners. He does this by touching those society deemed untouchable. He loving those that society says that they are unlovable. He does this by even healing the son of an enemy. There's a Roman centurion. His son is sick. He comes to Jesus, pleading for Jesus to save the son's life. Jesus does it. Jesus being a Jew, the Romans are the enemies. They are the occupation. They are the empire. And Jesus breaks the prejudices of the Jewish people and heals an enemy's son. He does this by telling us stories of the good Samaritan. How the person who we least like saving us comes and saves us. He does this by taking his disciples to Samaria and talking to a woman. At a well. The Samaritans and the people in Samaria were seen as half-breeds, not deserving to be seen as Jews. They were barred from worshiping at the temple. They're seen as the people that forsake God and got what they deserved. But Jesus exposes that prejudice and calls them equal. He does this by forgiving the thief on the cross at his side. We kind of like that one. But he does this by forgiving the thief on the cross. And then finally, he does it and he breaks all prejudices because he dies for you and me. He dies for you and me. So we need to put on these lenses of humility and confess and repent where our prejudices are and realize that community is not always about being around people that you like. That's not at the heart of community. A lot of times we mistake community as, I'm going to get around a bunch of people that are like me, that I agree with, that I like, that's comfortable. But the heart of community, especially Christian community in the church, is just surrounding yourself around the people that are living life among you and finding value in them. And finding value in the differences. And finding value in the ways that you disagree. This is the joy of community. It's not in liking everyone and being comfortable in this room together, but it is finding the value that each of us carries in the image of God. Which brings us to the third and final lens that this humility glass is correct for us. That is that it allows us to see new ways that we can add value to people's lives. Because like I said before, the Pharisees who were clamoring for the highest spot inherently saw themselves as more valuable as those around them. And the only way that they had in mind was a way to increase their own value. And the way that they saw themselves increasing their value was to take the highest seat and decrease the value of everyone else. Because Jesus's advice, taken in the worldly sense, was that idea. Like, I'll take the lowest seat so then somebody else can be devalued and I can take their place in this higher valued place. And this is the way that the society works around us. But we put on our humility glasses and this lens of humility in this parable gives us a new vision for living, and that is in humility taking the lowest seat. And when you take the lowest seat, guess what happens to the value of everyone that's around you? It goes up. It goes up. When you take the lowest seat, no one else can get lower. So that means everyone else's value, even the person that would have sat in your seat, their value's gone up. Maybe you deserve to be in seat number one, but you take the lowest seat. Guess what happens to everyone's value? It goes up one notch. This is the imagination. This is the vision that Jesus is promoting forward in his parable. Jesus tells us that, well, Paul tells us that because of Jesus, all life has value and that it has this increased value. And he tells us in 1 uh, Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple, that's a dwelling place, For the Holy Spirit that within you, you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So Jesus' whole life and ministry is about intentionally and actively. Get that? Intentionally and actively adding people, adding value to people's lives. He does it from calling out the 12 disciples, to feeding the 5,000, to healing the 10 men with leprosy, in which only one person comes back and says, thank you. He does this by casting out demons, from a person into a flock of pigs. He does this for advocating for adultery. There's only one time that Jesus saves somebody passively. And he's walking through a crowd and a woman touches the hem of his garment. He's like, who touched me? It's the only time that we see Jesus kind of passively healing somebody. The way that Jesus often adds value to people's lives is through intentionality and by being active about it. And so I want us to do this exercise for a moment because I think it's helpful. And so the first thing I want us to do, it kind of has to deal with the first lens of humility that is finding ourselves, our true value in ourselves. And that is, number one, I want you guys to say out loud, God values me. I think that's really hard for us sometimes because we think maybe that's prideful. Maybe I'm being prideful. But God values you. And so I want you to proclaim it over yourself. So with me, God values me. Awesome. Now we're going to continue this cadence. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say God values you. Go ahead. God you. Now I know these things can I know these things can feel silly. But man, it's it's really helpful to hear these words spoken. That so I'm valued by God. That so God values you. Now I want you to say this one. God values people I don't know. God values people I don't know. Now say God values people I don't like. God values people I don't like. Now that one's hard. Like, we like the one, God values me. Yes. God values you. Yes. God values people I don't know. Probably. God values people I don't like. That, that That one gets a little harder to get out. God values people that you don't like. And that's the hardest because this is what it means to take the lowest seat. This is what it means to take the lowest seat is to value people that you don't even like. And so God wants you to go out this morning and add value to someone's life today. And the first step to adding value to people is it's, it's a no brainer, but it's the one value people. If you're going to add value to people, you've got to value people. You've got to see people as valuable. And for as no brainer as that seems, I think that's sometimes a really difficult first step is to be like, I need to value people. The second step is that we need to be intentional in planning on how we're going to go and add value to people's lives. Because like I said, Jesus was intentional about it. So how are we going to go and be intentional about adding, people, adding value to people's lives? And then the third step, and it's the most difficult step, is to actually do it. It's kind of easy to think, okay, I value people. I could probably add value to people's lives maybe a couple of these ways. The hardest thing is to actually go and do it. But that's what we're called to do as bearers of the kingdom of God is to go and do it, to go share the love and grace of our Savior by adding kingdom value to people's lives today. And so maybe it begins with an act of forgiveness, like we talked about last week. It is actively going and forgiving somebody. Maybe it's going and taking somebody a meal that needs it. Maybe it's paying a compliment, a simple compliment, have you ever received a compliment and seen how that just like, changed your day? Have you given a compliment to somebody and seen how it changed their day, how their face just lights up, how they went from like, their head down, not really sure of themselves, and they're like, man, I think I've got some value today because somebody noticed me. Somebody noticed me, and, and they said that they kind of liked me because a lot of people aren't even really sure if they're likable. So let's go and add value to people. Maybe, maybe it's writing a letter. And I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to do this. Write a letter to each of your coworkers, telling them how you see value in them and how you value working with them. And this can be especially good for our hearts and our souls if you don't really enjoy working with your coworkers. If you go into work and you have a really hard time finding that your coworker actually adds any value to your team. Because I know we do this. We work in teams and we've got that person that slacks all the time. They're like, you, you provide no value. If anything, you probably detract value from this team. But I, I challenge you to think of ways. How are you going to name the value that's in their life? How can you find value and how can you add value and speak value into them? And I guarantee you that, that over enough of the speaking the kingdom into their lives, they're, probably going, they're going to grow in value and become effective parts of your team. This is one of the greatest ways that we can <clears throat> add value to people is by giving it to people who can't pay it back. And this is how Jesus kind of ends his parable here. So if you guys go back to the text, it says in verse 12, He also said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return to be repaid. Now this is very common in the society is that it was, it was very much, a, if I give, you give. It's very much an eye for an eye society still then. Like the eye for an eye was very much still a thing. They had not given into this new idea of grace and forgiveness and of love and of free will. And so if you were invited to a dinner party, there's this expectation that you would invite them someday over to your house and throw an equally as exciting dinner party. We kind of do this with kids' birthdays. But anyways, um, so Jesus is saying, don't do that. Instead, invite these people who can't pay you back. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't invite our friends over and have dinner. Yes, we should do that. What Jesus is saying is that when we go to add value to people's lives, we should do it in a way that we do not expect any type of repayment. We do not even expect for them to say thank you. But they are actually incapable of ever paying us back. And this is especially the heart of Jesus, to add value to people's lives in ways that they can never pay him back for. I mean, that's what Jesus does on the cross, right? He goes and he dies for a bunch of people that would have no value otherwise. And because of his sacrifice, and because of his love for us, he gives us all the value of the heaven and of earth. And we are blessed. And there's nothing that we can ever do to repay that. There's nothing we can ever do to make that up. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, the heart of the kingdom is this. I want you to give what you've been given. I want you to go and share and be an example of this kingdom that I've so richly blessed you with. And so it's my hope that this morning that through Jesus, Through his spirit, our prideful vision can be corrected through the humility lenses of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. Glory to the Father. Amen. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we just thank you for this day. And we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a family. And to be honest and real with one another. And God, I pray that this conversation that we had this morning would, would help us grow in our humility that we'd be able to speak into each other's lives, that we'd be able to, to begin to have conversations that we never would have imagined otherwise, to where we'd be vulnerable, to where we'd allow other people to speak truth and hope into our lives. God, may your spirit come and give us new eyes to see with corrected vision. God, may we reveal our prejudices, and God, may you give us the creativity to add value to others as you have done so much for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.